I think sometimes we really hamstring ourselves when we think poetry has got to be serious. It's got to be exalted. It's got to be, and I've got to teach it. I am going to make you people like poetry, you know, (laughs) which is like, oh yeah, that's going to, how's that going to work out? What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, You're listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that helps you make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books. Hello, hello, Sarah McKenzie here with another episode of the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. Today, I've got a show for you all about poetry. Now, we receive quite a lot of emails from listeners who say they want to integrate poetry more into their homeschool day. They want their children to enjoy poetry, maybe cultivate a love of poetry, but either you maybe feel intimidated, like you don't know how to teach poetry, like you're not really sure where to start, or you just want to know the right way to do it. Well, today I've brought on a wonderful guest, Sally Thomas. We're going to talk about integrating poetry into your homeschool so that your kids and you can fall more in love with poetry. But before we get there, I want to answer a listener question. Hi, Sarah. My name's Abby, and I'm from Salt Lake. My question is, um, what do you recommend doing if you find out your eight-year-old budding reader is skimming books and skipping portions entirely so that they finish the book uncharacteristically fast? These books that they're supposed to be reading for enjoyment, not assigned. Is there anything I can do about this? Thank you so much. Okay, so this is a little bit of a tricky question to answer without being able to follow, to ask a few follow up questions, but I'm going to give it a try anyway. First, I'm wondering if, if maybe there's a family culture of reading that he's trying to fit into, maybe a desire to keep up with other people who are finishing books and excited to track the number of books they read or just happy about the number of books that they read. That's not a bad thing. Of course, it's not a bad thing to have a family culture of reading. But I think kind of understanding maybe where he's coming from or what his desire is, like what's the goal for him in finishing books that he's not really read, especially because you mentioned they're not assigned and they're for his pleasure reading. There's got to be some reason why finishing the books feels very appealing. So I think if we can kind of backpedal and figure out why that feels so appealing and maybe shift things, I have a couple ideas for that. Um, One thing I noticed with my older son when he became a fluent reader is that after a while, I realized he wasn't reading quite as well as I thought he was. He was able to read. He could, in fact, read fluently. And when we would sit and do like a, you know, do a reading together, he would understand what he was reading. But when I would ask him, you know, just maybe his favorite parts of the books or who was the most courageous or what surprised you about this story, I realized over time, and it took me a little while, I realized over time that maybe he wasn't reading as thoroughly as he should. He was skipping large sections, maybe if there weren't as many paragraph breaks or words or names that were difficult to read. So one thing that helped a lot is an idea my husband came up with. I got two copies of a book. Uh, We chose The Magician's Nephew, and I read it aloud to him while he followed along on the page. So we both had the book in our hands. I was reading it aloud, and he was just following along on the page. I didn't tell him it was for any specific purpose. We just did it. And he really enjoyed it because it was The Magician's Nephew. This helped a lot, actually. I think for a lot of kids, when they don't know how to pronounce a word or a name, or they get to an intimidating paragraph, they sort of gloss over it. And so 
getting into the practice of not glossing over it with their eyes while someone does the hard work of reading it, you know, out loud, taking care of the cadence and the rhythm and the pitch and the pacing. That kind of gives them practice in helping their eyes read the words without having to do 100% of the work because you're doing some of that work by reading it aloud to them. And, you know, adults do this too when we get to sticky situations in our reading. We don't know what a word means or we don't know how to pronounce it or maybe it's a weird name that we've never come across before and we don't really know how to pronounce it. And so we sort of just gloss over in our mind. And if we had we had to tell somebody about the story, we wouldn't really know how to pronounce that word or that name or even maybe a whole section that seems a little bit descriptive for a really long time. I'm raising my hand here. I've done it too. So I think it's something that happens and we can sort of mitigate that a little bit by helping them get less intimidated by blocks of text or by words and phrases they don't understand by reading it aloud to them while their eyes are reading it to give them the practice. So then they can slowly sort of move into being able to tackle it 100% on their own. You said your son's eight. And I wonder if, honestly, he might mostly want to look at pictures rather than read the words. Sometimes I think in this period, there's this period of time about maybe age six to nine. I mean, it kind of depends on when our kids become readers, but I would say between six to nine kind of seems like a typical time for this to happen, where we encourage our kids to step into chapter books or novels a little earlier than is best for them. And a lot of times that's instigated by their desire because they want to read, quote unquote, real books, right? Long books, books with chapters by themselves. And um, they might be picking up on our desire for them to do that, or they might just have their own desire. But I think it's possible that maybe books that have more pictures and less text will help him feel more successful. I know there's this tendency I have, as soon as my kids can read, are able to read, to sort of shoot them up the ladder and give them things that they can read, but are not necessarily easy for them to read. So I wonder if even stepping down the reading level of what he's reading in his pleasure reading time and making it easier so he can be more successful might be helpful. One more idea. Maybe as a way to drive home this idea that the number of books finished doesn't really matter, right? Is if you're tracking in your home, if you're tracking reading, and this is a question I'd love to ask you follow up, but I can't. So I'm just going to suggest that if you are tracking reading in any way, you know, for example, keeping track of the number of finished books or whatever, maybe consider switching to tracking the time spent reading instead of the number of books that you've finished. Because then the focus is on the enjoyment of reading, on the actual minutes that are spent reading, rather than on the getting through or the completion of books. What we want to do is cultivate kids who enjoy reading because they enjoy reading, not because they enjoy having read, right? And so part of that might be in celebrating the number of minutes we read instead of celebrating the number of books we complete. I hope that's helpful. I hope something in there sticks out for you. Thanks so much for your question and for calling in. Okay, so let's talk poetry. Now, first of all, I want you to know that we have a brand new resource for you. It's a book list of excellent resources where you can find great poems to share with your kids, our favorite books and collections of poetry. It's in the show notes at readaloudrevival.com slash 140. That's where you can find it. And it's a really good one. (laughs) We had a lot of fun putting this book list together. Now, our guest today is Sally Thomas. 
She's a poet, a fiction writer. She's taught in high schools at the university level, and she's taught homeschoolers both in her own home and online. Her poetry and fiction have received several awards, and her work has been featured in First Things, in The New Yorker, and in several other publications in the U.S. and the United Kingdom. She's joining us today to talk about how we can incorporate poetry in our homeschools and help our kids develop a true affection for poetry. Well, Sally, we are delighted to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Well, one of the things I am really eager to talk with you about is why poetry. I'd love to hear from you about why we should be or why we might want to incorporate poetry into our homes. Gosh, well, I mean, thousands of reasons, really, but I can I can kind of distill it down to three that occurred to me as maybe the most pressing. I mean, one, you know, poetry is our cultural inheritance. Every, I mean, and it really doesn't even matter what culture we are. Um, every culture has some form of poetry in just about every culture. Poetry actually predates written language. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, you think about, I mean, Homer is the obvious example, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. holding those epic poems in his head and chanting them, you know, that all of this is older even than writing. You know, stories were old, poems were old before they were ever written down. So just the fact that we have this, you know, it's something that is a tradition that is almost as long as humanity and as spoken language and that we're the heirs to that is, you know, pretty amazing. You don't want to put that out with the trash, right? (laughs) So, you know, that's, that's huge. And, you know, I mean, another, another thought that I had, and again, I could, I could go on all night just answering this one question, but I mean, another thought that I had was that poetry is really uniquely valuable, I think, in, you know, in the context of an education, whether you're listening to it or whether you're reading it yourself, because it is a kind of language that commands your full attention. Mm. You have to read poetry with your foot. You know, you can't just slide your eyes over it because you'll miss it completely. In a way, I mean, it's almost like linguistic nature study, right? You know, I mean, if you're doing nature study, you are honing your skills of observation and attention to the created order around you and engaging with that. And, you know, and this is valuable in and of itself, but it also it's, I mean, it's invaluable in terms of what it's doing for your whole, I guess, you know, cognitive self that you are that you are learning to turn your mind with intensity to something age with it that makes so much sense to me at that cultivating that power of attention or that habit of attention i can't think of another way through language we could do that better than poetry now that you're saying that you know that makes so much sense to me Mm -hmm. right and i mean you can read any then you should read anything with you know with attention and especially you know i mean if you're you know coming at this from the kind of charlotte mason paradigm where your whole thing is about you know cultivate the habit of attention and be able to narrate and you know to engage and assimilate you know you're supposed to be doing that with everything you read but i think poetry really provides a unique opportunity i mean because so much of it is so small I mean, there are big, long poems, you know, everybody has to deal with, you know, Horatius at the bridge and Casey at the bat and Paul Revere's ride and all those big, long ones. But most of the poems that you encounter, especially when you're a little child, are really small. And 
you know, so you can focus on them and you want to pay attention to them because you're going to, you know, you're going to miss the fun of them. I mean, if it's a nursery rhyme or something like that. So, I mean, they're great from that standpoint of just being something that absolutely demands your heightened attention if you're going to engage with it at all. There's no other way to do that. One of my Um, favorite things, Sally, right now is that my twins who are six at the time we're recording this, we've been memorizing poems during our school day. And at night when they're laying in their beds, I can hear them as they're like (laughs) falling off to sleep, reciting them with like different voices and stuff. It's very cute. Oh, that's great. But it's like this tiny bit of beauty that they get to keep for themselves. Like it's it's like tucked into their pocket that they can pull out anytime and look at it. That's what it feels like when I'm listening to them. I just think, ah, that's a gift, right? Yeah. And that's that's so wonderful. And really, I mean, the third thing that I was going to say is just I mean, really, it's valuable because it gives us a chance to find our own language thrilling. Mm. I mean, we usually think, you know, that language is for communication. You know, like we have this utilitarian view of language. Yeah. It's to communicate. It's to convey something. It's to it's a vehicle for a story. And we always think of it, you know, serving some other purpose. But poetry is really where language is just there for its own sake. And again, you think about, and and I mean, not that a poem can't tell a story, not that a poem can't think through a problem or make an argument. I mean, poems do most of the same things that prose does in, mm-hmm. in some ways. But what's always important about a poem is just the language itself is primary and anything else is secondary. Yeah, And that is, that's exactly why, like, you know, children will latch on to poems and say them and enjoy them and, you know, shout them while they're hopping down the stairs or, <laughs> or whatever, just because they're fun to say. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, those there, would be my three a, big reasons. There was a third one. Did you name all three? Did I? <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. I said cultural inheritance, that it, all the business about attention and then just just the thrill of language. Oh, yes. The, yes. Okay. And, this, you yeah, know, just to from. be able to savor that. So, yeah, I think that would be my big three. So when did you begin with poetry in your homeschool? Oh, wow. Yeah, this is I, I like this question because I guess the answer would be birth. Hmm. I was, you know, like chanting nursery rhymes to my babies, you know, like while I was nursing them and I was bouncing them on my foot and doing ride a horse and hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, we started really from infancy with nursery rhymes. And I think when people think about poetry, and especially when they start to, when they think, I can't do poetry. Yes. They're automatically excluding lots of things that are poetry that, yes, they can do. And nursery rhymes are a good example. Yeah, that's Um, so good. Yeah. They have rhyme. They have meter. They have you know, fun with language and, you know, and you don't have to know. I mean, a lot of them, you know, were apparently, you know, political and religious and cultural commentary and that, that that's all kind of coded in there. But you don't have to know that. Mm-hmm. Like your baby doesn't care if <laughs> Ring Around the Rosie is about the Black Plague, you know. <laughs> right. They and, and they wouldn't think, imagine it either on their own. So. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So like, no, you don't have to teach this whole lesson about what everything, well, really the roses are like the rash on, you know, no, yeah, yeah. you don't, that, that you don't have to do that. So you can just enjoy 
I mean, it, you know, it's enjoyable about nursery rhymes. And actually, when I was in graduate school, one of the first classes I took in graduate school was a poetry writing class. And we listened to recordings of nursery rhymes as a way of hearing meter and rhyme oh, and pattern right? and language. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we're all like 25 and <laughs> listening to Hector Protector and, you know, all of these all of these nursery rhymes. And that was probably the moment really when the light bulb went on in my head. And I thought, oh, yeah, that is poetry, isn't it? And, you know, you're reading that to your child from a really young age and you are priming their ear to hear those things, you know, like they know what rhyme is without having to be taught it. Hmm. Yeah, they know what rhythm is like. They know that language can be rhythmic. And those ones, you know, I mean, like finger rhymes are really good, too. I mean, there were my two oldest children when we were little, when they were little, we lived in England. And my son, who's now 21, went to a series of little like play groups and nursery schools. And at every single one, they would learn little like songs and hand rhymes that I haven't heard as much here. I had not grown up with them. But, you know, counting rhymes, things like five fat sausages frying in the pan. All of a sudden, one went bang and you've got four fat sausages frying in the pan. Yes. And, you know, you fall into this rhythm. You're not singing, but it is almost like music in the way that it's, you know, it gets kind of incantatory because it's so repetitive and it's so rhythmic and everything. The poet Dana Joya, who's the poet laureate of California, is a, a very well known. He was a head of the National Endowment for the Arts, you know, has just been a prominent figure in the poetry world, has written an essay called Poetry as Enchantment, in which he talks about, which is available, he has a website, danajoya.com, and all his essays are available for free on this on this website. But in this essay, he talks about the way that, you know, like the purpose of poetry really is to almost like cast a spell, that you're not just experiencing it as this intellectual thing. Hmm. Like, you know, I'm going to understand all the symbolism and follow the argument. It's, you know, it's something that works on you like, you know, even like your pulse rate, you feel it in your body. And that does, uh, it was what made me think of that is that, you know, little kids and their love of rhythm and their, you know, like, it feels good. You feel that in your body when you're saying those rhymes. This whole idea that I think a lot of us feel intimidated by poetry. We feel like, well, we don't really, how can we teach poetry to our children if we don't, we don't really know poetry well? Or maybe a lot of our listeners are thinking, I don't even really like poetry, which I think is something that a lot of us sort of get into the, you know, gets in the way of us feeling like we're going to be able to help our kids fall in love with poetry. You know, I think a lot of people are afraid to trust the surface of the poem because they've been taught that it's just a mask for something else and that you haven't really understood the poem until you've taken the mask off. But it's not like you've missed the point if you just read the surface. Yeah. You've still gotten it. Yeah. Let's talk about some more practical ways, like some ideas that families can use to weave poetry, especially into our homeschools. I think a lot of us want to integrate poetry. We don't know where to start. So we, what I see is a lot of us will go, okay, we're going to do poetry. And so we look for like a poetry curriculum or something or, yeah. 
or we just feel like we don't really know where to start. So we might get like a collection of poetry and then just kind of read haphazardly from it. Maybe we just read the poems once. We don't really have a plan. I would just love to know some simple ways that you would recommend families can use to weave poetry into our homeschools in a way that will make it more likely, like kind of set the environment (laughs) or set the stage for our children to enjoy it and for us to enjoy it. Right, right. Well, I really think, I mean, gosh, because we've done, I mean, haphazard are us, really. Um, (laughs) And we've just, and a lot of the poetry that we've just enjoyed the most that's become part of us. I mean, I just like, a lot of it's what I read to my children when, when they were little. And then we just Everybody just liked certain poems, and so we kept saying them. And so, I mean, we have we have kind of weird taste. I, we had this book when my two oldest children were little of comic poetry, and I really encourage comic poetry. It's very easy to memorize. It's very fun. It's you know, I mean, again, poetry doesn't have to be serious or exalted. It can be about anything. And so we had this book called Marguerite Go Wash Your Feet <laughs> by Wallace Tripp, which was just had these quirky little illustrations all the way through it. And all of these, the most bizarre collection of funny poems. And I mean, poems that I can recite are largely from that book, like the limerick. When I sat next to the Duchess at tea, it was just as I feared it would be. Her rumblings abdominal were something phenomenal and everyone thought it was me. (laughs) Okay, there's an earworm for you. Yeah, (laughs) totally. I love it. All kinds of things like this. And, And we just read it. I mean, we weren't homeschooling in those days. We just read it for fun because it yeah. was funny and the kids liked it. And so, I mean, something like, you know, if people do a morning basket, that's an obvious place to have poetry. And it doesn't have to be anything, you know, schematic or like a lesson or anything like that. I mean, the main thing. And so just say, I've got this, you know, little slot in my morning time and at least a couple of times a week. I'm going to pick up an anthology of poetry and we're going to read something. Maybe we'll read the same poem both times and see how we, you know, feel about it the second time around. Or maybe we don't. Yeah. Well, I love this because it gives us so much freedom. You can really make this work for you. And there's, I think that's the biggest key is realizing, you know, if, if, if we're the kind of people who go, okay, I want to do poetry. So I'm going to come up with an elaborate plan or get a curriculum. But really what you're saying is just, you can read poetry today. Just read a poem and then maybe yeah, read the same right. one tomorrow or maybe read something else by the same poet yeah, or by yeah. somebody else. There's just, I love. So, okay. Sally, have you seen the book? I'm just no good at rhyming. I've heard of it. I have never seen it. Oh, goodness. I mean, you're talking about comic poetry and it is really funny. <laughs> it's a really <laughs> funny collection. There's a couple yeah, yeah. in there that are like body humor jokes that maybe not everybody will appreciate, but you know, you'll be able to tell those as you're skimming listeners and right, <laughs> can skip right, over those exactly. if you want to. But the right. majority of them in that poem, I mean, they're just really, really funny. My, They're the kind where, you know, somebody will be sitting on the couch reading them and start giggling and they just automatically start reading it out loud to everybody else <laughs> because they kind of can't keep it to themselves. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, again, I think sometimes we really hamstring ourselves when we think poetry has got to be serious. It's got to be exalted. It's got to be, and it's, and I've got to teach it. I'm going to make you people like poetry, you know, (laughs) which is like, oh yeah, that's going to, how's that going to work out? What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, And, you know, and I just think any way that you yourself can be drawn in and not intimidated and actually experience it as something pleasurable and fun that you're just sharing with your children as an experience. I mean, that's the foundation that you're going to lay for somebody who 
we'll be literate enough and unintimidated enough maybe to tackle harder stuff later yeah. on. Yeah. Well, and what I hear you saying, and you've said it twice now, I think, is you don't need to teach poetry. You just need to read poetry, right? Right, exactly. So then if we're exactly. reading poetry with our kids instead of feeling like, okay, not only do we need to read Stopping by Woods on a snowy, snowy evening, but we need to teach it. Well, that seems intimidating. But if we can just share it together and enjoy it. And I also love that you pointed out that your family has kind of quirky taste <laughs> because... <laughs> Yeah, we're kind of quirky. <laughs> it's a good, it's so good because I think um, for a lot of us, we kind of worry. We worry about this with classics, and I think we also worry about it with poetry. That you know, I might not have good enough taste to know what's good, so I need someone else to tell me what our kids should read or what our family should read because I might not know. You know, and the right, same kind of idea right. with poetry of like, oh well, tell me what we should read because otherwise, I think I might just read something that's not great. And you're just saying, just read something that that you all yeah, that right. enjoy, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, my own preferences, especially for really young children, tilt toward rhyme and meter because of the music. You know, I mean, I really want them to get that into their, you know, into their ear, into their whole body, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. that experience. And so, I, you know, I mean, that is consciously what I've looked for. And lots of comic poetry, again, is very good about this because the joke is often in the perfection. I mean, it's like comic timing, right? If it goes clunk, it's not funny. Yeah. But if the rhyme and the meter are just like perfect spot on, it's like a little watch. It clicks into place and the timing is right. And that's what makes it funny. Yeah. And then they know what rhyme and meter sound like. What do you think about copy work and memorization? Do you think those are important pieces of our poetry? I don't know if it's a routine, but our poetry experience, let us say. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I certainly I love copy work for all kinds of reasons. And I think copying poems is really, you know, it's because it's meditative and it gives you a way kind of physically to internalize the poem and listen to it maybe a little more closely than you would if you were just reading it. I mean, you, know, you think about monks in the scriptorium, you know, copying things and how peaceful <laughs> that always seems. And how much they must have internalized what they were writing. And, you know, I think that's always a powerful thing, no matter what your child is copying, as long as it's excellent language. But I mean, poetry obviously lends itself to that in a particular way. And it's a great way. I mean, just like I, I you know, I think part of the value of copy work is that it really does teach composition by mm -hmm. imitation. Mm -hmm. And while I really, I'm really not into putting kids on the spot to write poems. Like, oh, good. That was know, my next question for you. Sonic. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I really, I've never been comfortable doing that. And, you know, because it always felt like maybe it was going to be arbitrary or forced. I mean, if somebody wanted to, and I've had, none of my kids have really written poems much. I have had kids write stories and novels and things like that, that, you know, I would just never assign that. But, you know, I sure want to plant the seeds so that they can. Yeah, right. And when and, memorization uh, work serves a good, you know, purpose. Yeah. So you're kind of and, you know, for those of us who kind of we, we want to integrate poetry, but we're sort of thinking like, when am I going to fit that in? Well, first of all, I think you've already kind of answered that question for us. It can be like three minutes. It's <laughs> right. It doesn't right. have to be a big chunk of your day. It can be three right. minutes during your morning routine. You know, you do your right. prayers, your morning time, you do three minutes of poetry. But um, or it can be longer. But, you know, that's a good start. But also, if you're already having your child do some copy work, and actually, maybe I should define that just for any listeners who aren't familiar with the term of copy work. Copy work is having your child copy 
uh, work. <laughs> How right. simple is that, right? <laughs> Have them copy like a sentence. Usually it can be a sentence or when they get older, a paragraph. Sometimes that's pulled out of literature. So, you know, you might copy a sentence from Charlotte's Web or something. And right. copying right. poetry not only helps them, you know, with their handwriting, but teaches them composition by imitation, like Sally just said. And and then that's just another way to sort of, I was going to say reinforce the poem, but I don't think reinforce is the right word. I guess experience again, yeah. or experience in right. a new way, yeah. that poem. And slow down too, because you're usually copying, you know, maybe a line or two at a time, not the whole poem. So you really have to slow down and pay attention word by word. Yes, that's you know, true. Uh-huh. Lower even than your slowest and most careful reading. So again, it's, you know, brings that active attention to bear on things. Yeah. And then memorization. Too. Did you, you did mention that your family memorized poems. Did you do that sort of systematically or was it pretty like <laughs> haphazard? It was pretty happy. I mean, it was very informal. I often worked on memorizing, you know, I mean, because we'd read a poem. I mean, usually if you read something, you know, repeatedly and it's not very long, you're going to memorize it without even having tried. I mean, I memorized Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening just because I had to teach it five classes a day for like. (laughs) That'll do it. (laughs) When I taught high school. So, you know, by the end of that day, I knew that poem. I didn't have to look at the book. Yeah. Um, So, you know, often it's just much easier than it often, I think, seems to us that you don't have to work at it that hard. And again, if it's funny, if it's just, you know, pleasurable as an auditory experience, I mean, those things just really, I mean, rhyme and meter, again, are mnemonic devices. They help you because they're patterns. They help things lodge in your brain so that poems that have a lot of that, I mean, especially if you read them more than once. I mean, you almost can't help memorizing them. What are some of your favorite resources or good resources for finding poetry to share with our kids? Uh, Really just, I mean, collections. And I've gone through, you know, it's funny, my 25-year-old daughter does this now. I mean, she goes to half-price books and she will just buy up anthologies of children's poetry. The more you have, the more you have to choose from. (laughs) And, uh, you know, there, there are some really good ones. Actually, one of my favorite anthologies isn't for children, but I used it a lot. It's a book called The Rattle Bag, edited by Ted Hughes and Seamus Heaney. Oh, I don't know that one. And, and I think there might be a, a second one. I only have the first one. Also, just for, you know, a free online resource, the Ambleside Online Curriculum has poetry rotations with the, you know, they have a three-term year and a poet for each term and they've got the poems compiled and collected and you know they're obviously they're age appropriate because they're keyed to the different years in mm-hmm. that curriculum mm-hmm. and they're usually in keyed to history too which is nice yeah but for people just looking for a you know a structure and a resource it's just right there at your fingertips online so good well Sally thank you so very much for your time oh, we have you. just loved having you here Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. This is my favorite part of the podcast, where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them. Hi, my name is Natalia. I live in Pennsylvania, and I'm eight years old, and my favorite book is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Why do you like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Because it has lots of fun things in it. 
Hello, my name is Rose, and I am eight years old. I live in Tanzania, and my favorite book is The Mysterious Benedict Society because it is about four kids who solve mysteries, and I like it when they disable the evil machine, The Whisperer. My name is Everett. I live in Africa, and I'm seven years old. My favorite book is the Bible. Wait, is that even loud? Well, if it is, then I like it because it tells us about how things are made and also mostly God. <laughs> Everett, Sarah McKenzie here. It is most definitely allowed to say your favorite book is the Bible. And thanks for calling in and leaving your message. Hi, my name is Brayden. I am five years old and I live in Ancastic, California. And my favorite book is Jose, Can You Say Dinosaur by Dr. Seuss. Um, my favorite part is where Cat in the Hat Source. Hello, my name is Julian and I'm three years old and my favorite book is Here Comes a Big Bad Dust Bunny because the Big Bad Dust Bunny learns how to be nice. What's your name? Joanna. Joanna? Yeah. And how old are you? Two. Two. And what's your favorite book? Mercy Watson. Do you like Mercy Watson? Yeah. And what do you like about Mercy Watson? She loves a great deal of butter. Yeah. <laughs> My name is Sylvia. I live in Spokane, Washington, and I am nine years old. My favorite book is Little House in the Big Woods. I like that Laura has a corn doll, and I laughed when Laura said, it isn't Susan's fault that she is just a corn cob. Hi, I'm Ben. I'm 12 years old. I live in Vermont. My favorite book is Trumpet of the Swan by E.B. White. I like this book because it's funny and exciting. My name is Kennedy. I'm seven years old. I live in Texas. My favorite book is The Prince Warriors. And I like the book because of the characters. And I, my favorite character is Ruwak. I like him because he gives special gifts to the kids. What's your name? Elijah. Elouette. <laughs> and how old are you? Nine. One, you're 19 months. And where do you live? Huh. Seattle, Washington. What's your favorite book? Huh. Pan. Pancakes for breakfast. Oh, okay. <laughs> 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 